0: Welcome in to the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by Manscaped. I'm Henry Chisholm and I have Andre Simone zooming with me. Yeah. It's good. How's it going, fun. man? I'm doing great. How have you been?
1: Doing pretty good. Just a little tired. I know, saying a little tired getting back into the routine, you know, not not being able to be the star of the show at home because of the draft, but Still got a lot of post-draft stuff I want to write. So, you know, just trying to get back to normal, not really normal quarantine life and adjust into it all.
0: Yeah, it's been kind of weird readjusting. Because before, yes. like like last week, we had turned into all draft all the time. Like my yeah. whole life from the moment I woke up till mm-hmm. the moment I went to bed. And then I'd like panic and think, oh no, I need to get a Buffs thing written real bad right now. And so that took up any free time that I had. Uh, right. But now, now it's like, huh? I had to write something. I need to record a podcast. Probably wouldn't hurt to pick up. I could do some laundry. I've been ex- having mm. excuses for laundry for forever. But now nice. it's just back to this world of time. And
1: <sighs> that's not to you know, not to get too sidetracked. That's what's really hit me was like, come Sunday, I was like, wait. I don't know. Like, there's so much uncertainty in my football world now. Like, that was kind of like the one stable point in my life was this great NFL offseason, mm-hmm. and it was like in in that sense, it was same as usual for me. And then Sunday, it really sunk in. Like, oh uh, like this is when I start to get excited for the MLB draft and, uh, you know, I start to catch up, yeah. uh, you know, I start yeah. to think back on my March madness takes and update my NBA draft rankings and all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just been, you know, it's, it's odd. They're odd times. Yeah. So I, I know. Can... And,
0: and like the things like yesterday, I just went on like a two hour walk. I nice. was like, woke That's up great. at seven thirty, and I was like, huh. I'm going to write about uh, Davion Taylor and how he fits with the Eagles. It's like, Beautiful. well, maybe I'm just going to go wander around Denver for a couple hours first because that's Beautiful. the way my day is structured now that I can just take 7.30 to 9.30 and not be behind in my work at all. Totally.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a great thing. I, Lucia and I went on a nice walk um, a few days ago too. You know, you got to pass the time. The other thing I've been doing is post-draft – You know, I pay attention less and less to other people's rankings. I know people obsess over them. I obsess over my rankings, you know, and I try to Mm -hmm. really, uh, I'll bounce ideas off of you or AJ or Ryan. Jake's been great help um, through this process, Mace during the Senior Bowl, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, generally I try to keep outside influences away so that they're truly unbiased, you know, my opinions, my takes. Um, But what the NFL thinks of these players is very important to me. So I go over, especially the top 100, the guys who were drafted in the first three rounds who weren't top 100 prospects for me, especially the guys who weren't even draftable prospects for me, I just go over them and I've kind of obsessed over the tight ends from this last class. I've watched so much Devin Asiasi tape this week, I can't even tell you. Because I, 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 what interests me is knowing what does Bill Belichick see that I don't see? Yes. What does Pete Carroll and uh, the front office there in Seattle, what do they see in Daryl Taylor and Jordan Brooks and all these other guys? And what does a great coach like Sean Payton see in Adam Troutman? Um, and just on down the list, you know? So that's what I've really been enjoying. It's almost taken away from some of my writing. And then I haven't been able to help myself. I've been catching up on some uh, updating the 2021 draft rankings. We're at like 100 guys. I feel really good about the top 50. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's been crazy. But just trying to stay busy and still watch film and still keep stay locked into the draft at all times.
0: Any buffs in those uh, 100 guys? Yeah, yep, definitely
1: Um. in the 50 to 100 range. Uh, Mustafa, Johnson, and Nate Landman are uh, are definitely in that mix.
0: Okay, good to know. Yeah. Oh, well, I've been passing my time by watching a bunch of highlights because, see, for me, now my job is over. Mm. Like Like, I'm not trying to, like, like it'd be good to be able to think like Bill Belichick but I don't think I'm anywhere near close enough where watching hours of Devon, a CSE is going to change anything for me. <laughs> right. I'm not, I'm not where you are, Dre. And so that means that I just get to uh, spend my free time watching the highlights, just all nice. like the good parts hey, and just I'll watching KJ Hamler, just run free. Oh. Boy, does that look nice? Um,
1: good for you. Yeah. See, I just got to move on. KJ's uh, film room is in. I've I've moved on with my life, and that's where it sinks in. It's like, man, when's the next time I get to get excited about KJ Hamler? Yeah, I guess I've, I'm gonna go. The other thing is I'm gonna go back and do some more in depth film rooms. You know, this I've is been, a get to know the prospects. Then we have a lot more options.
0: I've been playing a lot of Madden.
1: Ah, uh, so jealous! Man.
0: Like just downloading all the rosters, like with the update players, but then I I change all the ratings for the players. So that Jerry Judy, like I've Jerry Judy's an 86 overall, not because I think Madden is going to call him an 86 and the game comes out because I think that's what he's going to be when the season comes a little bit optimistic, but uh, we're rolling with it. And so I've love done that. that, but I've done that with a bunch of guys I like on other teams too. Oh man. So like every day I'm playing like two or three games with these long quarters really on dope. all Madden, just like real football. Like yesterday uh, I made Jordan love really dope. And then moved Aaron Rodgers' injury rating down to 11 so that he would Incredible. get hurt during the game and Jordan Incredible. Love would come in off the bench and try to steal <laughs> things. I ended up beating him with uh, Drew Locke, 38-35 in overtime. Wow! Yeah, But that's Look how I've been passing my great. time.
1: How great. Yeah, even, I've even got Kate considering buying a console now.
0: So. Oh, wow.
1: Well, we're just both, like, you know, we're very, like, <laughs> obsessive. We either, go, we're either, like, two feet, we either dive in full force or we're like, ah, why bother? Um, Get Kate so, to play
0: some Madden with me. Yeah. Madden's <laughs> going to be a tough, <laughs> that's the thing.
1: We're going to play completely opposite games. And in general, I just, <laughs> I just don't know Hank if it's the right thing to do, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the point we're at. So I'm jealous. That's, you know, as a kiddo, when I couldn't watch as much football, I would, I would take those guides, the preseason mm-hmm. college football guides and I'd go through the all-conference teams, and I'd create like an all-Pac-10 pack team, an all-Big Eight team, and all—that'd
0: um, be fun. That'd that's be how I fun. became
1: like a scout traits guy because <laughs> I,
0: <laughs> I obsessed over that stuff
1: as a kid, you know. So, <laughs> uh,
0: all right, well, want to talk about some real football now?
1: Well, yeah, let's do it.
0: So, the plan for today is to talk about the Broncos in the first segment because yep. this is a Broncos draft podcast. Yes. And then in the second segment, we'll go through the rest of the AFC West. Uh, those are the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Chiefs. Grade yep. those drafts. Look through the know. picks. See what that means for this year. Then we'll get to questions in the last segment. And Perfect. then uh, just as some like housekeeping notes, we'll be yeah. back to the one podcast a week going forward. Right. Um, at so some still point, a regular
1: one pot oh, yeah. a week, you know.
0: Oh yeah, and uh, when we do that, we're going to be running through all the different divisions in the NFL, talking about what happened in the draft for the Buccaneers and the Saints and the Falcons one week, and I guess there's probably a fourth team in the NFC South. Probably don't matter. Um, probably yes. And then, uh, <laughs> and then we'll also be running through the positions to see kind of what went weird with the draft. You know, Prince yeah. to go going yep. in the seventh round a surprise, right. Um, right. is that a surprise that we can learn from? Or is that a surprise that is just because the team's got the medicals and we didn't have access to those?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Those
0: are the kinds of discussions you guys should be excited about. Plus, I mean, the potential for uh, 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 a inter- uh, supplemental draft um, that yeah. could actually mean something. Yep. Um, we'll be talking about that. Uh, and if it is starting to look like it will mean something, then right. we'll really be digging in. Yeah. Um,
1: if we need to pivot, we are ready.
0: Yep. So just kind of going with the flow, basically. That's right. Yeah, I mean,
1: my thing is we we go over, especially you and I, year-round we talk about the draft. Mm -hmm. And then the NFL finally tells us what they think about this draft class. And, you know, we usually go over it for a couple episodes and then we move on. But with the time, with kind of the uncertainty, with what's happening next in college football and the NFL for at least the next month or so, why not take this time really dig deep into this whole draft um, all these positions and really uh you know get better and become better fans and more informed analysts and you guys uh better you know fantasy players and what have you so I'm excited for this but we'll always be answering your questions if there's anything you guys want us to dive into we're happy to do that so this is your show um, we are just here to entertain and talk draft and talk football year round and We just love it, man. So, so let's do this and enjoy it all together.
0: Let's do it. Let's start with the Broncos. Um, You know, we've talked a lot about the Broncos after the draft. We did that uh, show with the Broncos pod guys and got most of our initial takes. Right. Is there anything since then um, that, that you've seen or that you've thought about that's changed one of the takes that you had during the draft or after the draft?
1: I think it's enforced um, some of my takes allowed me to understand a lot of these prospects better and have a much more well-rounded um, view of who they are, how they can contribute, what areas they really fit for the Broncos and, uh, and what the motivation was for taking them in these different spots. So yeah, I, I think I've gained quite a bit of clarity on on a lot of these guys.
0: Well, let's just run through. uh, We'll talk about these guys, and then we'll hit uh, some of our favorite undrafted guys. I think there's one. Is there one undrafted guy who you think is a lock to make the Broncos roster?
1: Oh, lock? I would never go as Ah, far as one lock. Um, I'll say this. I think there are two undrafted free agents who have a better shot at making Denver's roster than two of their draft picks.
0: Okay. Okay. How's that? That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Uh, let's just jump in with Jerry Judy. You've had some yeah. time to go back through and hopefully everybody's read the film room you wrote. Very good. Um, what do you want to tell me about Jerry Judy?
1: Yeah. I mean, especially in the context of grading the entire AFC West, Broncos at 15 were the third highest drafting team in the division um, with the Raiders at 12 and the Chargers at six. And yet Denver came away with the highest ranked prospect on my rankings with Jerry Judy as the eighth best prospect in this class, clearly ahead of Henry Ruggs, who was 10th, and Justin Herbert, who are 17th on my board respectively and drafted ahead of him. What stands out, I don't know that we really talked enough about his slot versatility um, and the way that he could, and I, I always felt like they should have done this more with Emmanuel Sanders, but with Judy especially, with his quickness, I think he's a guy you can move around outside, inside, seamlessly and he'll just be a killer his ability to win you know that that press we talk about it we've seen it going back to watch it again though god it is unbelievable Um, and it just it took me back to how he was in 2018 when he won the Bolitnikoff award as the best receiver in the country and was on that insane Alabama offense And just thinking, like how him to the Broncos just seemed impossible. Um, You know, no matter how bad Joe Flacco was going to be, they weren't going to be bad enough to get a talent of Jerry Judy's caliber. So for him to drop to a fifteen is really unbelievable. But no, his feet, his route running, the fact that he's just going to murder you on double moves if he's isolated out in space, forget it. Um, and yeah, just going back and thinking, the hardest times for the Broncos were games like KC in the snow, where they just couldn't convert a third and four because guys couldn't get free. Mm-hmm. Guys just couldn't wiggle free for four yards quick enough. And now they have that, and it starts with Judy, who's really just a phenom at that. So yeah, I mean, there you go. I, I'm. <laughs> Uh, I'm even more convinced that this was an amazing pick. The The drops still do bother me, but, you know, uh, they're not. I do think, as our scouting report pointed out, it's more of the concentration drops variety. He's never going to be like a physical, over-the-middle type of receiver. Um, but, you know, in the screen game, he's going to be dynamic. He's an electric weapon with the ball in his hands. We talked about with rugs, but Judy is, you know, mm-hmm nothing to sneeze at as i like to say (laughs) um like he's electric with the ball in his hands he's incredible in the screen game so yeah he's just an all-around weapon
0: what do you think realistic expectations for him as a rookie are
1: sky's the limit man i mean he should be (laughs) because he's so nfl ready you know he's so polished and he's in this young exciting offense um, so you should really expect him to be a contender for Rookie of the year and to, you know, flirt with 800 plus receiving yards um, and be a, a consistent starter week in week out. I know that's a lot to put on a rookie in a position that there's a bit more of a learning curve. Um, than others, but I, I think that's the kind of talent Judy is, and he's that polished and NFL-ready that I think he's he's worthy of those kind of expectations.
0: What are the odds that Jerry Judy has better numbers in year one than uh, Cortland Sutton has?
1: Um, I think he's probably got a a. He has a better chance than Courtland does of ending up with more receptions. I think Courtland has a better chance than Judy does of ending up with more receiving yards and receiving touchdowns.
0: Okay, I think that's a good fair. Take. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And then you where agree does with that? where does KJ Hamler fit in there? He's
1: third in all three, right? He's third in all three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a lot more of an unknown mm-hmm. just because, yeah, how many three receiver sets are we going to see under Pat Shermer? You expect that to be the norm um, mm-hmm. for them to have 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, three wide outs. With Hamler there featured in the slot and they can move them around. I think he's going to be great in that, um, you know, what San Francisco and the Rams love to do where they're faking jet sweeps 24-7. Mm-hmm. And once in a while they do hand it off. So then you got to respect it because a guy like KJ can take that, you know, can take a quick jet sweep to the house. Um, and just manufacturing clean releases for him and stuff mm-hmm. um, is going to be key. And he just needs to refine his route running, um, be put on a little more weight, be a little more physical. Um, but you, what's intriguing about him rewatching him you see him be able to high point the ball. He's very athletic, man. Very oh. athletic. That's not just speed. That's hops too. It's ability after the catch. It's quickness to wiggle free. Uh, he's just a different dude. You know, we've talked about there are some guys who are just not NFL size. And they because of that, they're kind of different athletes from the rest of the NFL. And they're quite unique because of it. And Cage, lays, Cage is one of those dudes. And looking back on how the wide receivers were drafted, it almost seems fortunate that he dropped to the Broncos.
0: And I agree, too, because he wasn't somebody who you know, I was necessarily keying in on at 46, even if yep. the Broncos hadn't drafted a tackle in the first round. Yep. Uh, I thought that there would be somebody else who would be there who might be a better fit. Um, obviously the fit changes when you land a Jerry Judy, all of a sudden yes. you're looking for a third piece and not a second and a third piece. And so mm-hmm. you kind of just need that one skill that they were lacking. Right. Um, but yeah, seeing him still there at 46 with the other receivers on the board, it did feel like the lucky. The Broncos were very lucky to have the option to take him there.
1: Well, especially you look at the first, the first tier of receivers, the guy who gets taken first is Henry Ruggs, mm-hmm. the speedster. The second tier of receivers, Jalen Rager was the guy who was taken first. The speedster, Brandon Ayuk going really high. Denzel Mims dropping, I still don't understand because he did run really fast. And so you kind of thought, well, gosh, if guys like Rager, Ruggs, um, Ayuk are being prioritized to this extent, KJ Hamler is going to be gone pretty quickly, which is why I thought the Broncos themselves thought they were kind of lucky to have him drop to 46 and um, take them and just go all in, you know, and say, "Hey, our problem last year was getting freed up on third and four. Now we've got two guys who are just so electric on their releases, you can't cover them for those first four route four yards. So now you have your slow developing guys in Sutton and Fant, and you have your quick developing guys in Judy and Hamler, who also present home run ability." After the catch, you've improved the O line, you've improved the running game, um, and you know you should get significantly improved quarterback play. So all that should really raise the level with a much improved uh, play caller too.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, you know, one of the things that people always say, and you know, there's evidence to back it up, is that receivers. You know, that's one of the positions where rookies really struggle, and you you typically see a pretty big jump from year one to year two. Yes jerry judy to me is special in that he he has the releases he he has the route running it's almost unprecedented for a receiver to be this polished um at this stage in his career yeah and so to me he feels like he's going to be ready to go as a rookie does having a guy like that and a guy like sutton and the other weapons make it more likely that kj hamler will put up better than expected numbers as a rookie
1: (laughs) Boy, it's really going to depend on how he's utilized and how, you know, is, there, is this offense just going to blossom into a 4,000 passing yards where there's like plenty of mouths to feed because we're we're throwing for slinging for 300 every single week. So yeah, KJ is involved on the regular and he had three games this year where he went over 100 because he broke some big ones. Or is it gonna be like okay there's the the nice pieces, and we saw it from time to time, but still some growing pains, and you know we had to manufacture touches for them a little more, we had to play more too tight end than we'd like because we were past protecting, so yeah, I think those two wideouts will open up space for them and give them a really nice opportunity a better opportunity than the Hamler would have had in most places to have early success but at the same time it's going to come down to how quickly can this offense kind of hit that that next gear and maybe the gear after that um for him to really be
0: maximized and i like how you phrase that because i i do think that there really are two gears now you know we saw at the end of the season where where they were i do think that there's one more gear where I think it's actually pretty likely they hit it at least at some point this season. And, you know, that's probably enough. That'll get them to the playoffs for sure. Mm -hmm. But then to get on that chiefs level, that Ravens level, you know, that's that one more gear on top of that. And so I really like how you phrased that. Um, Do you, you said the 4,000 yards passing. Um, and I think that that's yeah. a good benchmark to look at. Um, huh. You know, there haven't been a lot of 4,000-yard passers in Denver for uh, a few years. Yeah, but, post-manning,
1: uh, definitely.
0: You, you look at how that would really shake out. You know, say 2,000 yards combined from Sutton and Judy. Maybe that's 1,200, 800, whatever. Maybe that's a little bit optimistic, too. Um, yeah. 800, or let's call it 700 apiece for Fant and for uh, Hamler. Now okay, you still cool. got 600 yards left to go to the other tight ends, the other receivers, the other running backs. Yeah. And, and 4,000 yards, that's about 250 passing yards a game. You know, all, all of those numbers seem like it, it all sounds like it could be doable. It's to me, the question is just whether they hit that next gear in week one and they just fly right, through the season. Right, and, and that's right. where you're looking at it. And around week eight, we're saying, Hey, this team 6 and 2 are we really on to something here and then maybe they can even hit that say that next gear next year too um, and and that's totally. what some of these offenses have been doing too
1: right that next next gear yeah cuz i think you're right pretty quickly i think they could get in that next gear which is basically where they were at in houston right yeah With not nearly the pieces they have on the o line now not nearly the wide receiver pieces they have now But, you know, hey, I mean, they're going to have to integrate this new offense, all these new playmakers and starters. It's going to take a while. If they could hit the ground running and be at the level they were in that Houston game, I will take that. Yep. And then if they can hit that next level, like past week eight, now now you got me excited, right? Because they're definitely a playoff team. And they're a team where, you know, one of the more exciting young teams in the entire AFC.
0: Yeah. And again, you could see how it happens when you look at the way these pieces align. Um, Yeah. Hitting that, going up two gears next year is probably unlikely. The way I see it going is probably you you go through that first four games of the season. You're like, huh, right? They look solid, or maybe it's five games. They come out of those five games three and two, and you're like, okay. I mean, they're they're winning. They're on the right path. This doesn't look like a team that's really competing for anything big, totally, quite totally. yet. Right. But then at the same time, like maybe maybe they hit that gear week five and wind up going ten and six getting into the playoffs and try to hit that next year in in Drew Locke's third year. Um, That seems more likely. I don't know. It's it's just so fun to think about because I think that for the most part, that offense that that we're talking about two years from now, it seems like it's been built.
1: Yes. Yes, it has. Yeah. That's what's crazy is you start thinking of next year's draft. It's left tackle. And then the needs are on defense.
0: All of them. You know, I I actually (laughs) ran through some of these just because I thought they were so fun and i was curious what prospects uh they had in all these different places but you know uh well yesterday i, I, I snagged marvin wilson alex leatherwood yes. jabril cox uh Diamandour lenore i mean it starts to get into guys you might not know i doubled up with cole van lane too but yeah, uh, yeah. you know i mean that's that's a good draft and all of a sudden if if, if these draft picks hit the way we think that they're going to hit then yeah the the list of needs is about as long as the list of top one hundred picks the Broncos are going to have next year.
1: Oh, yeah, oh yeah, so it's really exciting, it's really an exciting time with where they're at offensively, and it starts completely with those uh with those two two wide receivers they got at the top um you know we we did this show live, I'm not sure. You could have made an argument for some of the corners that were still around. For sure. Um, over Hamler. You could have made an argument for both AJ Epineso or Marlon Davidson um, as your interior D lineman and Ezra Cleveland. Ezra Cleveland will be the one that people gripe about. But in the end, where you look at, you know, it's do you want to patch up holes here and there or do you want to turn a weakness into a potential strength?
0: Yep, and that's I like what, what the Broncos have
1: done, right? And they've done that before with their pass rush and stuff, mm-hmm. or their cornerbacks, um, where they've said, "Okay, we're going from that being a weakness to being a complete strength." And and when they've done that on defense they've turned into they've turned the team into a soup a Super Bowl champion so. because
0: they've been able to yeah. maintain those strengths yeah I mean you, you exactly. go right now we could be saying, okay, uh, you've got your tackle we'll see if it comes together and then next off season we're going into it saying, all right you need one more receiver let's see if they can get that receiver and have it all work out right and then maybe you get into the season and realize you missed on the receiver and they could have missed on the receiver right. this year, but they're getting ahead of the issue like I feel like for the most part everything is patched together as well as you can patch it together. And now you have some real strengths to work off of too. You can hope that this offense is a high power as, as we expect it to be so that maybe still starting Garrett Bowles isn't the end of the world offensively.
1: Right. And all I'll say is how the board fell, the Broncos missed out on the tackles with prototypical length, except for Lucas Niang who dropped to the third Injuries have to have been involved. So if the tackles remaining, including Ezra Cleveland, who did have shorter arms, that was one of his weaknesses, didn't fit the Mike Munchak standard, didn't fit what they're looking for in their franchise left tackle, then, you know, I might not agree with it. It doesn't drive with my rankings. But look, I'm not going to claim to know anything more about offensive line play than Mike Munchak or even John Elway, frankly. Oh, you got to defer to those guys and say okay the the prototype of tackles that remained it was matthew pert or lucas niang and neither were worth passing on uh you know hamler with the injury concerns and how raw pert was so I get it from that standpoint. And Jalen Johnson had injury concerns. So even when you get into the secondary, there were similar concerns with that too.
0: Yeah. And then again, when you look at the strength they built at receiver, now you just have to maintain it. And they've been able yeah. to do that as, as soon as they got, I mean, you could even say it was all the way back when the Broncos had Von Miller and Elvis Dumerville. Yeah. And then they were able to just maintain that strength by throwing into Marcus Ware, by investing a a pick in Shane Ray um, that turned it kind of into a super strength for a second there and then died back down to a strength. You have to throw the number five with Chubb when you're saying, ah, you kind of have guys there already who could have opportunities, but it just made sense. And now you're looking at these receivers. You have Cortland Sutton under contract for two years. You have the the next two behind him for four years. Essentially, if you throw a third or fourth round pick at the receiver position – maybe every other year going forward. You should you should have all of the flexibility you need. You know, if these guys need big contracts and have to leave, you can patch that hole behind them. Somebody gets hurt, you can patch it. Like, that has been solved now. Receiver, yep. if, if, if things just are treated normally going forward, like, that just is not an issue we have to worry about. Honestly, it's, it's the quarterback with – lock and again, just going back and watching Drew, because again, that basketball background, you see it on the field. Sometimes he just goes unconscious, like like the first half of that Texans game, he just could not miss, and yep. he's just like floating around, and and it really does look like just like a hot shooter. He's he's yep. a quarterback who can take over a game, and the Broncos haven't had one of those. Even when Trevor Simeon was at his very best, he was fighting as hard as he could. He sure. was thinking sure. through as many things as he could think through, and then he's trying to just fire something in on the mic like that's all he could do for drew lock it all just comes so easily and sometimes all the pieces just come together and it just looks like he's honestly just unconscious like a shooter and if he can just bring that out more often this offense is set um Absolutely. let's keep going with some of these offensive guys before we move on to the defensive side um okay i like albert it. albert okuegbunam okuegbunam there we go first time i've had to say it since we've been told exactly how to say it
1: i'm sticking um, to alberto i okay. you
0: know. I can't hate on you. I know you well enough to know that that probably saves you <laughs> some right serious solution. time if you can invest in something else. <laughs> um, Albert Oguegbenam, yeah. what do you expect from him year one?
1: Interesting. Very interesting because with Vanette and um, Fant, of course, you think that should be most of their two tight end sets. Um, at least their go-to two tight end sets. With the blocking guy in, in Vanette and the, the receiving weapon in Fant. Now, Albert O oh can be that luxury backup for Fant because if Fant goes down, now you don't lose that element. You still have a mismatch tight end. And where I think he can factor in is going to be, and we've, we've seen this from the Broncos a few times the last couple of years, and maybe it was just a lack of depth. But they would go five wide even though they had basically a tight end and a, and a running back. But, you know, they'd spread Booker out, they'd spread the tight end out, and it would end up being five wide. And I wonder if that's going to be their plan to go five wide, but it's going to be where you flex the tight ends out, you, you have the three receivers, or maybe it's two receivers, and you throw at a back, and it gives you that kind of option where you line up in a certain par- personnel, and then you call an audible and spread them out. And suddenly it's like, well, we don't, we don't have the guys to defend this. Now we have our linebacker uh, lined up with Albert O. Oh, and the beauty is in plays like that, you can really defer to the relationship Albert O oh and Drew Locke have when things break down. These guys have played together before at Missouri. Uh, these guys had a great relationship on the field. So now when stuff like that happens and you're creating favorable mismatches for Albert O, those guys just need to look at each other and they know what's going down and what's going to happen. And that's already a huge advantage. But Albert O, you know, he's a mismatch tight end. He's got good size, great speed, very good receiving weapon, very good at tracking the ball and catching it over his head and this kind of stuff. He's going to be a weapon at first, but I think it'll take a little time before he's integrated fully.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: It'll be interesting to see what their plan is, frankly.
0: Yeah, and, and that's, what, that's what makes the question so hard to answer, is yeah. that things are so open-ended. You know, if, if you come out of this without K.J. Hamler, you say, okay, you have your two receivers. You could throw Tim Patrick, Deshaun, Hamler, or Deshaun Hamilton out there, but right. you're probably going to be spending a lot of time in 12 personnel. 21 yes. personnel both of those two you just want your two receivers out there and that's easier to project okay what situation do you throw oak wave out there ah, i wanted want to say it fast i can't quite Ooh. say it fast yet <laughs> good to know um but uh you know just like you said those are weapons and those are mismatches if they try to match up with linebackers you flex them out both him and fant and if you go five wide with those two flexed out you might as well put the linebacker on Cortland sutton because he would be the slowest receiver of those five who are out on the field.
1: Yeah. Good luck with that.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, it just doesn't work for the defense. That's what's so exciting. You have two tight ends. That means they're lining up in a base. If they're a base four, three, base three, four, those are the personnel and you're going five wide against it. Yep. Ugh.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the draft is all about creating those favorable matchups on paper that when you're game planning going into the week, going into next week's opponent, you know you have that kind of stuff in the back of your pocket. They basically have math on their side. Yeah, They've just got a math equation that the, their opponents cannot beat if mm-hmm. they execute it and play it correctly. And that's really intriguing. I mean, frankly, that's kind of what the Chiefs have going on.
0: Yeah, yeah. really. And, and and you look at, you know, there are some defenses that have some speed at linebacker. A lot of teams are really invested. Sure, oh yeah. Um, and And maybe against those teams you have a Joe Schobert who's able to take away one of the tight ends you have another fast linebacker who could take away the other so it doesn't work but guess what those speed linebackers now all of a sudden you just use those two tight ends as tight ends and they're going to be able to bully those speed linebackers in the running mm-hmm. game so you can take it back the other way i mean unless yeah. unless you're playing a team that has you know a Bobby Wagner
1: right they're they're right.
0: you're you're keeping away and and so they are winning that chess match now if they can the only yeah. problem is how concerned are you with Albert O's blocking ability? I
1: mean, I think if your plan is to make those two your full-time two tight ends, then something's got to give. One of them is going to have to improve <laughs> their blocking, right? Yeah. Neither is terrible, but neither is great. The thing about Albert O um, probably more so than Fant coming out of iOS, he wasn't given a ton of inline opportunities. Yeah, he's flexed out a good amount, you know. So you got to take that into consideration. I mean, but shoot, the guys both have the size; they've got the explosiveness. They're willing to try and and block. So I think with some coaching, you can get them to be serviceable in that area.
0: Yep, and I, I think you need to for for again if we're if we're saying yes. you can beat any defense. Um, With this personnel, I mean, if if you can't flex back inside and block those two linebackers, then you're not going to win that matchup. All of a sudden, the defense ends up winning winning because they push you away from that five wide with two tight ends. Um, I think we were together, though, when Alberto was running into the side of the sled at the combine and just basically spinning it in a circle. I think we were laughing about how bad it looked. I think he was the one.
1: That's funny.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's funny. Uh-huh.
1: No. Yeah. Um. It's interesting how they've got that, but you're right. To really maximize that potential, we're going to have to get a little more blocking out of them. What I was thinking about, and I wrote this in my grades piece, was how we've talked about building your receiver room like a basketball team. Now you really have that. Yes. Alberto and Fant are basically your centers. Yes. Or Sutton's your power forward. Um, you know, Judy operates exactly like a wing. He's your ISO scorer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And KJ Hamler is the point guard that brings more spacing to the offense. In basketball, you'd bring more spacing to the offense by being a shooter, a three-point shooter. KJ Hamler has the speed. That's what will bring spacing Mm -hmm. to the offense. It's a seamless fit. And now they truly have a basketball team at receiver. That is so exciting. And, again, point guard, Drew
0: Locke. Who uh, I uh, I just oh, yeah. want to see him on the field so badly. I just want to see him on the field so badly. Uh, and you can't forget about the running backs either with Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay. My goodness, this could be a monster. Um, yeah. One more receiver drafted though, Tyree Cleveland.
1: Yeah, I mean, upside. Yep, lots of upside. Feels similar to Juwan Winfrey, which I think R. K said during the broadcast. Uh, former highly recruited guy. Has the size, has the speed, contested ball skills, um, some yak ability. Like the guy tried hard. He was an impact player as a freshman, averaging almost over 20 yards per reception. So he's a big play weapon. He's just declined. Florida didn't have a good enough passing game to feed all these guys. Van Jefferson, Tyree Cleveland, Freddie Swain, all guys who got drafted. They just didn't have, you know, it's uh, it's the uh, K.J. Hamler, how much is he going to be able to produce question I, I just answered. At Florida, with that limited passing game, there weren't enough mouths. You know, there, wa- there wasn't enough to, to go around for everyone, and Cleveland was really hurt by that. Um, he's an interesting gamble on potential. Those final two picks, they're basically glorified uh, undrafted free agent picks, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So you were able to prioritize him, not let him go to the open market and try him out and see what's good. He's a guy who can compete with Tim Patrick. I think they looked at it and they thought Tim Patrick is the last guy with size who has decent speed. Now Tyree Cleveland can compete with that.
0: Okay. So for me, when I was looking at this receiver's room, I saw it as, you know, you have your three, you have Cortland Sutton, you have Jerry Mm -hmm. Judy, you have KJ Hamler. And then behind them, you want somebody mm-hmm. who can sub in for those guys. And uh-huh. especially with a young offense, keeping all of the responsibilities super simple. You have your just three separate receivers all with their own jobs in whatever package comes out. And then you have their backup. So Tim Patrick, if Cortland Sutton goes out, he just fits seamlessly into everything Cortland Sutton did. Deshaun uh-huh. Hamilton backs up Jerry Judy. Uh, uh-huh. Deontay Spencer, uh, he, he's your KJ Hamler. So if KJ yep. Hamler goes down, Deontay Spencer just takes everything he did. You leave the offense the exact same, so nothing has to change. Yep. With a guy like Tyree Cleveland, do you think that he's probably like the number three Cortland Sutton right now?
1: Probably, yes. Competing for that number two Cortland Sutton spot. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. That's interesting. Um, A couple undrafted guys we want to hit on, and we're going a lot longer than expected. So, Dre, do you want to just make today Broncos and we'll hit AFC West next week?
1: Yeah, that works for me.
0: Let's just do it because I feel like this is all good stuff anyway.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, perfect.
0: We forgot Natane Moody, who's a really fun one. And Cushion Bear. And Cushion. We've, okay, I'm, no, I haven't that's okay. You show did, in a week.
1: You did <laughs> skill positions first. It works yeah, seamlessly. Yeah, Had perfect. you not said anything, it works seamlessly. You did skill positions first. With that in line, do you want to attack the UDFA skill position? It. Okay, fun.
0: Oh, which one do you want to start with? Let's start with Levante Bellamy.
1: Yeah, um, it's Levante Bellamy.
0: Because this man, when I asked Ray earlier if there's a lock to make the roster, I think that Levante Bellamy may be a lock. And as crazy as that is, as far as, as sounds, UDFAs as, go. Yeah, he's, he got the biggest bonus. I mean there they're, they're yes. he got he did the get biggest a nice salary. Bonus. He already has mm-hmm. some guaranteed salary. It's not a lot. Uh-huh. I think it's like twenty thousand, something like that.
1: Yeah, it's not huge for you know, considering Brett Ripon, I think, signed a hundred thousand bonus wow. last year.
0: Yeah, so so I I'm pretty sure Levante Bellamy's at sixty thousand, um, that the Broncos have committed to him. Um right and on. the second highest of any undrafted free agent is fifteen thousand, and then you get to ten thousand. So nice. Yeah, and he's one of two with guaranteed salary. I think whoever it is that has the 15,000 is 10,000 yeah. signing bonus, 5,000 guaranteed salary. Mm-hmm. I think it's 40 and 20 for uh um Levante Bellamy. But let me tell you more about Levante Bellamy because I am in love. Um where to <laughs> start? Um yeah. He's a speed back with great vision from Western yes. Michigan. He yep. uh Looks kind of like Phil in the way that he runs, although I would say there's more vision, a little more patience there. Um, Very fast, though. Very
1: close to the inside runner, Phil is.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Phil takes on contact very well.
1: Right, right. Phil's a very atypical, smaller speed back in that he runs like a big physical back up the middle, but Bellamy is more of your... Right, he's what you think Phil should be if you just look that fill on paper running off
0: tackle more he's running off guard
1: right um and the speed stands out but so does the quickness with bellamy i mean how good is that quickness
0: it's incredible it's it's incredible and again it's western michigan so it's not like he's playing a whole bunch of power five schools but but even when he did play michigan state i went back and watched the tape he's consistently i'd say on average he got four more yards than he should have Sometimes he was buried in the backfield and turned it into a a positive game. He's that type of runner, too. Like, that bounce translates into extra production at the end of every run.
1: Yeah, he's able to do what we've talked about so much with the running backs, being able to create yards by himself. Syracuse, he lit up Syracuse, if we want to talk about Power 5 competition. Mm. Lit them up. The Qs, you know, Dino Babers, you you talk about uh, hot head coaches. That's a name that pops up all the time. Mm-hmm. Syracuse's head coach, they've had he's had them ranked, you know, on and off um, the last few years. But Western Michigan played them, and uh, they they couldn't contain Bellamy. They could not stop him, and it's because he's got that vision. He's creative runner, very right? Creative, very creative. He has that great ability to create yards for himself. He does that because of that quickness we mentioned. What I put in my notes is he's got great burst. And he's got this quickness. He has that wiggle in his hips and he has that great ability that all great backs have. As soon as he makes that cut and he's, you know, kind of dancing around making his move. As soon as he plants that foot, there's no wasted motion. It's off to the races. You know, he plants that foot and then he, that burst stands out and he's off. Um, so he's got me intrigued for a smaller guy. He's always landing forward, fight for extra yards, a little appeal in the passing game too. For Sure. Thirty I wouldn't catches is a, a lock. Junior. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call him a lock, but I think that this dude is exactly the kind of back you and I were talking about that we would target on day three. You know, a yep. third down back, a guy who can be a factor as a receiver, bring more of a speed element to your game. The question for him on third downs is uh, you know, as a pass protector, because he is small and He's willing, but sometimes he gets beat a little too easily in those situations.
0: Yep. Uh, also worth noting that he's a pretty old prospect. He, actually, he, he was actually a five-year letterman because he yeah. got a medical redshirt after his sophomore year, and so he got his letter. So, yeah, he, uh, he had a season-ending injury, injury his sophomore year after three games. Uh, he had a season-ending injury his redshirt sophomore year, uh, after six games but then he played 13 games as a junior and senior and uh i mean yeah.
1: put up great production
0: yeah he 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 had um actually w- oh my goodness these numbers are just still insane every time i see him because i do the math i'm like that can't be right but no over his junior and season, senior season he put up 2700 yards rushing yeah. mm-hmm. just rushing mm mm-hmm. That's thirteen fifty a year, just rushing. And um, an offense that year,
1: rapidly declined, so defenses mm-hmm. were really keen in on him, and he still had that kind of production.
0: And his senior year, he uh, had 23 rushing touchdowns.
1: Not bad at
0: all. At all.
1: That's incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's why on the broadcast, when we talked about him, I said, uh, <laughs> you know, it, I feel like he's been on my radar forever because he's just the name that's been on my mind watching Western Michigan for a while. But uh, yeah, he was still around, and you watch the tape, and you watch the production of what he did last year. Um, It's it's intriguing. So how
0: old is he right now? Um, Let's see. What is his age? I have it here. Oh, wait. Maybe this hasn't been updated. I guess the Broncos page form would be updated. Oh, no. Wikipedia. Oh, no. He's 23. He turns 24 during the season. There we go. All right. Uh, Levante Bellamy, he's my guy. I think he's getting touches this year. Um, let's, uh, let's move on to another undrafted prospect. Um, Want to go with uh, the Zamari well, Manning? Out yeah, of we're Tarleton sticking State. with
1: uh, the offensive playmakers, right? So we have to.
0: Now he's um, another yeah. production stud
1: yeah go through his his stats all right um, so division 2
0: um yeah so division 2 tarleton state they made it to the playoffs lost in the first round he played all 12 games um and his senior year 68 catches 1462 yards and 22 receiving touchdowns insane he figured it out late too i mean just listen to these touchdown numbers per, in, in each game. So first game, Stephen F. Austin, four receptions, 84 yards. His team actually beat Stephen F. Austin. Um, then he went two touchdowns, one touchdown, three touchdowns, one touchdown, two three, two, three, two, three, two, three, zero in the playoff game. Still at 87 yards.
1: Yeah, and when you watch him, it's clear why. Because any this guy would catch the ball, <laughs> he was a threat to uh... – to take it to the house. Everything he caught had to be contested because his quarterback just was unable to lead him. So he's a contested catch savant. Um, What's he like 6'2"?
0: 6'2", 200 is what he's listed.
1: Yeah, we should see what his his digital pro day came out to. Um, (laughs) 6'7",
0: 300 pounds.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Lots of one-handed catches by this guy. So he's got nice hands. He's got nice yak ability. That was telling you. He reminds me a little bit of Gandy Golden, where he uses yeah. that physicality, that leaping ability, um, and even will surprise you with what how he's able to cut and come back to the ball mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, obviously, he's not you know he's not as big as Gandy Golden, so maybe that shouldn't surprise us or impress us as much. On his digital pro day, he claims to have <laughs> ran a four two eight. So there's that. On tape in Division Two, it looks like it. Uh, but <laughs> I, man, I think that's
0: dude. the talent, though, is what we've decided.
1: Yeah. He was cooking those fools. But look, a guy like that, he was a finalist for the Harlan Hill, the Heisman they give to the Division Two. He's a wide receiver. He's going to be uh a... it's interesting, this at-large wide receiver group. Now you got McKelvin, right?
0: Uh, Kelvin McKnight,
1: Kelvin McKnight. Jesus.
0: And no, I he love it though. I love so it. though. You know, I things. know the names. So oh can my gosh. girl, push whatever, <laughs> you know, together and see it, if I can solve it.
1: He's a small school kid who lit Florida state up two, uh, you know, two years ago. And he's got, he's a guy who might compete with Deontay Spencer,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah. for that return job and maybe be actually be able to do more as a receiver from time to time. Which, boy, that'd be nice. Um, it
0: would be, because, I mean, for all the things they tried to do with Deontay Spencer, they never figured it out.
1: No. I oh, mean, not at all.
0: He might have had one, two oh. nice plays, but no, I, I don't feel like at the end of the season, that offense was any close to oh. knowing how to use Deontay Spencer than they were when they started.
1: No, no, clueless, clueless. They they'd manufacture, you know, touches for him in the script to start the game on offense. Mm-hmm. Then he'd maybe get you know five seven yards here, but yeah, nothing nothing to write home about, as my grandpa would say. Um, so nothing, Manning, to to that, yeah, nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, nothing to sneeze at. maybe would.
0: would you sneeze at that? Maybe that is something to sneeze.
1: That at. I think I would sneeze at, frankly.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Manning, man, he's uh, just add another name to that receiver room.
0: Yep. Yep. He'll be fun to watch. That's for sure.
1: Um, well, what's crazy is that the receiver group was so loaded that he wasn't even one of the like 50 best UDFAs. A guy with, you know, some real pedigree, some great tape, and some great mm-hmm. production. Um, you dominate the D two level at at such an extent, you need to be on NFL radars.
0: You know? Yeah, there is nothing else he could have done. You total, can't ask a guy total. to put up 25 touchdowns or right. 1,500 receiving yards. Right. He checked every single mm-hmm. box, box he could have checked, and, and then it comes down to the eye test. And mm-hmm. I guess there's the measurables, too, and the measurables don't really count, though, because he's self-reporting his 40 time, and I'm guessing he picked one of the better ones. Um, but uh, I mean,
1: <laughs> don't get me started, please. If,
0: I mean, what was my guess? Like, so before this, Dre and I are like, watching the videos. We had like, synchronized... Watching the Zamari Manning highlights because we wanted <laughs> to watch it together and talk about it. Yeah. And, and Dre at one point says, What do you think his 40 time is? And he's laughing. And so I know in my head, either it's something great and it's a lie, or he really did not test well. And I was like, Okay, he probably did not test well. I'm thinking back to like the Tony Brown time. And I'm like, uh, He ran a 4'7. And Dre says, 4'2'8. Like, No, <laughs> no way. No way is this man 4'2'8. But again. Oh, silly. I mean,
1: I mean, for all we know, he could be shoot. That yeah. would that would explain the kind of domination we were watching. I tell you, what. sure.
0: And, and you know, he he has the hands though. I'm like Dude, that's the one this thing. This guy we know has the yeah. He has the hands, and that'll take you a long way right. as a receiver.
1: Yes, that is no BS. Those hands are for real. That uh, <laughs> there's no faking that man. There's no like clever edit. Those guys' myths are for real. Yep. Yep. Right, let's take a break. Talk about. All linemen and defense.
0: That's a good idea. Um, and during this break, we're going to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery, our good friends over there. Uh, if you guys are hungry, then you have all sorts of different options. And we recommend that you pick Breckenridge Brewery because oh, yeah. the farmhouse has incredible food. Um, it's it's so good. And I miss it because I actually haven't had it for a couple of weeks. I'm going to have to get back yeah. on that. But uh, if you use the code DNVR, then you can save... $5 off of your meal. And again, like it's not like these are crazy expensive meals, so that's a, that's a pretty big discount. Yeah. Um, call 303-803-1380 and they'll get you all set up with your delivery. Um you can also get alcohol delivered. Um recommend yeah. the uh, Avalanche the Strawberry Sky and if oh, you're yeah. just interested in beer, hit up the beer locator on their website and it will tell you exactly where you can try your favorite beer beautiful um would also like to tell you about our friends over msu denver online yeah Uh, big shout out to them huge shout out you may have noticed that their logo was on everything we did with the draft Mm -hmm. um and we really appreciate that um they they do outstanding work um there's so many reasons to choose them it's it's hard to like just pick one or two to tell you I, mean, I should tell you at first that they have over 750 online courses, 40 yeah, different programs that will get you degrees. But also mm-hmm. there are things like 80% of MSU Denver alumni are in Denver. That means that when it comes time to find a job, there's this whole network of people that's set up for you already. Yeah, yeah. There's so many reasons to uh, choose MSU Denver, and we hope that you'll go to msudenver.edu online and uh check out all the reasons why that might be the right fit for you
1: yeah totally just go on that website and browse all those great courses they offer it's uh it's just fun to check that out
0: so fun all right offensive lineman let's do it lloyd cushionberry what do we expect from him year one
1: uh immediate starter plug and play kind of guy you know he moves well uh he's got great strength what really allows Kush to be as good as he is is his length. He's got tackle length, man. He's got over 34-inch arms, and that allows him to recover with that strong base he can anchor, and then you're not going anywhere. So you might have pushed him off a couple of yards, but then he's recovering, and you're not going anywhere because he's got that length in pass pro, which is what allowed him to be quite effective in one-on-ones. That's why he was so phenomenal against Javon Kinlaw at the Senior Bowl. Uh, This is a plug-and-play starter. He's going to be able to do zone concepts. He can do more uh, gap power stuff. He's just a complete guy, you know, smart guy. He stood out immediately when I spoke to him at the Senior Bowl. He's exactly the kind of leader you want, touching the ball every single snap on offense and taking care of the rock for you. And having Reisner, Cushenberry, and Locke all together in that small L is going to be phenomenal for the leadership of this offense.
0: I really believe so. Uh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Especially when you remember that they have Graham Glasgow on the other side of him. They have Juwan James, who was the highest paid right tackle in the NFL a year ago, who's hopefully going to be ready to play a full season this year. Like the even non um, number odd number thing with him. Yeah. Yeah. I I think so. Yeah. So, so I mean, he's going to be good to go. Still have that massive black hole at left tackle, but, that's a problem for another day. Unless yeah. Elway wants to sign Jason Peters this afternoon, in which case it's a very good problem to solve today. Or
1: Cordy Glenn, man. Cordy Glenn's a
0: yeah. too. There are options. There are some options. maybe
1: they want to play Natane Muti, who stood out so much at left tackle at Fresno State.
0: Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that. Do you think there's any chance that that's on the table?
1: Honestly, dude, just because his arms are so short, I don't think they can make that mm-hmm. work. Um, but... You know, some dope like me would try it. I love the way he tried, he played at left tackle at Fresno. I love the way he was an ass kicker, man. Um, and just moved so well. He's so compact, he moves so well,
0: huh? Yeah. And and, you know, it it would be so much fun if you just did throw a run blocker out there and say, you know what, is Moody going to be an upgrade over Garrett Bowles and pass protection? Eh, maybe. Maybe, right. and, and if he's the same thing, that's too bad. But in terms of run blocking, Moody, it seems like he should be able to really just open things up over there in a way that Garrett Bowles couldn't dream of.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think he's, he's going to move pretty well too. Um, who knows, maybe the plan is to have him as that six offensive lineman and jumbo sets. What this does to their depth, though, in adding Moody, Cushenberry, still having Wilkinson as your mm-hmm. kind of swing tackle and backup, uh, you know, that's, that's some quality depth on the offensive line that they haven't had in a while. So I really think the more I look at this O-line, the more I'm, uh, I'm optimistic that this could really be a, a very nice season for them.
0: And, and now they finally can just scheme Garrett Bowles out of trouble. You know, we've been talking about uh-huh. how they've had yeah. to leave help and all that stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, now that they actually have all four spots locked down, with guys Mm -hmm. who can play, that makes it so much easier to actually try to just say, you know what, one of our priorities on every play is bailing out Garrett Bowles. It sucks that we have to do that, but that is one piece of the play design on every play.
1: Yeah, I mean, with more tight end sets, that can work with guys like Hamler and Judy being motioned around where ends need to pay more attention to them coming off the edge. That could help. Running a little more RPO could help. Um, you know, there's, there's ways to help Bulls. Um, and yeah, as you said, having four solidified spots, that one weak spot becomes a little less weak.
0: Yep. Okay. Uh, that's going to do it for the offense. Um, and we're going to get it. to this defense now. We spent a long time on that, didn't we? Oh boy. Crazy. Okay. Uh, defense, though. First draft pick on the defensive side of the ball, Michael Oje Mudia. Are you warming up to that pick?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, the the film is just so crisp. He, he checks off so many boxes. He's got the height. He's got the speed. Really great in zone coming downhill. He really stands out to me as a guy who, when he's facing the action, so off coverage in zone, all he's got to do is read and react with his eyes and come downhill when he does need to react and just, you know, that's where that 4-4 four, four speed is really going to show up. He'll break up passes, a uh, willing tackler. I think he could play some at safety. I think you could trust him closer to the line of scrimmage because he is physical um, and he is a willing tackler and even use him in that Will Parks nickelback role. Uh, there's just a lot he can do. And yeah, for teams that want to play more man coverage, uh, the upside is going to be there, but he'll need a little more development. Um, he does lose guys sometimes going deep, and he trusts his recovery speed. And usually that works out for him. He's going to need to be more cognizant of that in the NFL. Teams like the Chiefs will murder you on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, his instincts and ball skills. That's one thing that Emory Hunt mentioned. So was one of my gut reactions was instincts and ball skills. Those will be two of the things you really got to improve um, when he comes into the league. But I think he's instantly a guy you can start competing for that third cornerback um, and just has a lot of things that you like. That They also like that Iowa program and the way they coach him up there. This will be three years in a row, three drafts in a row that the Broncos have drafted a Hawkeye.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, just- I mean... It's it's exciting, though. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. think that he was a guy that we had more tabbed as a fourth-round, fifth-rounder, but everything you said makes it sound like he is just a perfect fit. Um, do you think that there's any chance that he's ready to go and contribute early as a rookie?
1: Because I think he can play closer to the line of scrimmage and do some of that Will Park stuff that Devontae Bosby isn't necessarily able to do, Yes. I think their preferred method, assuming full health from everyone, will be in nickel formations to have Bosby and A.J. Bouye outside Bryce Callahan inside as the slot. But they'll have options there, and O.J. Moody should certainly factor into that.
0: Okay, I agree. Uh, McTelvin game. what's the timeline there?
1: Yeah, so O.J. Moudia, when I finalized my rankings, I did have him as a late third rounder. So projected okay. future starter, pretty solid value there, even though he was taken in the mid to early third. McTelvin Aguim was in that next tier as a day three gym, right with guys like Jason Strowbridge and Christian Rector, uh, mm-hmm. Jordan Elliott, who I know some people like. That's because he's a great athlete, Uh, He's got the measurables. He's got some interior pass rush ability, but he's also raw. He's a developmental piece. And boy, is he raw. Does that stand out? I mean, the text that the the coaching source that AJ has uh, texted us during the broadcast that I read um, during the live show, which I can pick up right now instead of just citing them for people who might not remember what I'm talking about, I think rings so true because you know, he's a physical freak. One of Arkansas's better players, but got moved around a lot. Natural fit for three, four and plays five technique in high school. Uh, fun fact, he returned kicks. He said, didn't get coaching at Arkansas relied on athleticism too much and was never taught proper technique to get off blocks could blossom with coaching. You see this man. I have never seen rawer hands. Um, mm. This guy just leads with his helmet. And it's just like, dude, if, if you just use your hands to keep these guys at bay and work off of them, you could do so much more. And he's got a swim move. When he uses that, he can be intriguing you. Know, as a one-gap penetrator, he's already there. He's got a brilliant spin move for a big guy. Brilliant. Um, he exaggerates in using it sometimes and it'll get him out of position and makes him susceptible to like draws or RPO runs. And, you know, he had good production in the sec, but when you look at it, like his stats against Bama were really good. Well, his tackles for a loss and sacks, they all came um, in the fourth quarter when the starters were long gone for Bama, you know? Mm -hmm. So he's raw. He's not the guy I would have picked as a developmental interior tackle I think they've gotten a little too cute. They maybe trust their coaching too much with some of the selections they've had through the years at this position. Gottsis Demarcus Walker clearly um, weren't the right guys. But, you know, so he's raw, upside, toolsy guy, and they're gambling on the fact that he's a high-character player. You know, because unlike other raw guys, he, he does have that going for him.
0: So when you look at guys like DeMarcus Walker and Adam Gotsis, who were drafted yep. in the same rage and didn't pan out, yep. why should we be excited about a game? Why should we think that he will pan out even though those guys didn't?
1: He actually is a better athlete than those guys and I think has a more natural athletic body type scheme fit than... Um, Either Gotsis or Game, both of those, oh, either Gotsis or Walker, both of those guys were drafted in round two, so a little more disappointing as mm-hmm. well. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are some of those concerns though that you've gambled on a raw guy whose skill set might not really translate. And then, you know, then they signed Chris Covington immediately after the draft. Robert Covington? Oh my God, help no, me out. Do you nope, know what? Not I'm Robert talking Covington. About? um robert I'm actually, covington's the timberwolves player yes traded. So
0: um,
1: that's not him um i do remember covington from college because i talked about him on a cowboys pod um, <laughs> but i cannot for the life of me remember his first name while you
0: look that up I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk real quick about world golf tour which okay, is an awesome it. company that we're partnering with sure. and uh we're super excited and hope you'll join us in playing that game. So the way it yeah. works is we're actually going to have weekly tournaments where we're all going to play the same course. And, uh, it could be pebble beach. It could be St. Andrews or Bandon dunes. There's so many cool courses, Beth page black, you know, a whole bunch of mm-hmm. incredible courses and we're just going to pick one each week and every Sunday there'll be prizes. Um, it's going to be a whole lot of fun and a lot of people are already playing now. I finally was able to get a chance to, uh, Play. I guess I haven't played a full round, but I've played like a few holes a few times, and nice. uh, I'm super excited to get into it now that the draft is over. I have time to invest. It's uh, a you,
1: phenomenal game.
0: It's very well put together. It doesn't feel like a, like like a phone game, you know. Like Christian it feels Christian Covington. Christian Covington. Okay. Um, if you guys want in on WGT, and you should, then you should go to dnvrgolf.com and download uh, WGT Golf.
1: Yeah, let's right. do it and if you skip that um that ad, that read uh you're going to have to go back cuz oh. i'm not going to i'm not going to repeat covington's first name though wow. your your brain probably hasn't melted and you remembered anyway so congrats <laughs> to you listener
0: all right um want to keep moving and probably have to keep moving at this point um, well,
1: seems to make sense to me
0: Justin Sternod the linebacker yeah Fitzgerald pick from Wake Forest. Um, he's another guy who we were talking earlier. Um, you know, my idea with him is that he, he seems like a smart guy. He seems like the type of guy who you could teach a job to pretty quickly and just uh-huh. ask him to do that one job. And maybe that base 3-4 package, he is one of those linebackers, but he's kind of your slot defender there. He's, he's aligning in that same spot. Um, and then that switches over to Callahan and Bosby comes in and plays outside on passing downs. But but in those sorts of roles, as they cover linebacker, I, th- I think that there will be a use for him, whatever the coaches decide to do.
1: Yeah, he's rangy. He can cover a lot of ground, uh, dropping back in coverage. That's how he was used at Wake. I mean, so we should specify this isn't some crazy theory you've cooked up based on his skills. This is actually how Wake Forest was to use him on first and second down as they'd put him out to cover the slot. Um, often and he was serviceable. So he's rangy. he moves well sideline to sideline. When he comes downhill to tackle, he's not taking bad angles or getting out of position. It's a good enough tackler. I just don't see enough closing burst when he's coming downhill, having a close on place. And in coverage, I see so often where it's like, oh, he was in the right spot. What happened there? How did he not come close to like making a play on the ball? Yeah. Um, And you know, he tested a little disappointingly and had some injuries this last season, which hurt his stock. There are times where he reminds you of Troy Dye, but yeah, he's lacking, you know, and it's really finishing ability on both ends is when he's coming downhill to tackle or blitz or what have you. He's not great. And it's finishing ability when he has to close on the ball and make a play. And even, you know, taking on offensive linemen and blockers, I didn't think he was great. So he's a... You like the skills he does bring, but the skills he he's uh, a little more unrefined in need to get fixed up for him to see some regular playing time.
0: Yeah, you know, to me, Justin Sterner doesn't seem like the type of player who likely will ever become just a an every down linebacker. Um, yeah, but he does have that hybrid linebacker safety build. You mm-hmm. know, at six three two thirty eight, he he is an athletic. Um, you, he's somebody you probably have to be creative with and I think it's worth noting that you know Mel Kuyper released his favorite pick from each round of the draft and uh-huh. Justin Sternod was his favorite fifth round pick mm-hmm. and, and I think that there are a lot of tools there and, and a lot of things where again maybe he isn't an every down player in the NFL but there are certainly things that he can do that a lot of other guys can't do that I think will get him on the field.
1: Yeah yeah no totally Totally. And I think he's a he's a decent gamble. And I think what the Broncos like, what Vic really requires is you gotta have some sort of football intelligence. And he does have that. He's a reliable player. You're not gonna put him out there and you know, now he's a liability. And he does have more cover skills than a guy like Josie Jewell or oh, what yeah. have you. And could play next to AJ Johnson if Todd Davis got hurt because he has that. So uh yeah, he's a complimentary player and the the things I was talking about, you can refine those, you know. And, oh yeah. maybe that's just bad tape. I need to go back and watch some pre-injury tape as well. Um, Make sure I get some 2018 tape in before I finalize this film room on him as well. So, yeah, um, he's intriguing. I might have rather a guy like Francis Bernard, who I know didn't necessarily check off all the boxes um, and dropped, went undrafted. So, clearly the NFL didn't think he was as good a value as they're not.
0: But, all right. Uh, Let's jump ahead to the last draft pick we're going to cover. Derek Tuska, the linebacker from North Dakota State, a pass rusher.
1: Yeah. um, (sighs) Production's there. Guy tries hard. Um, On a play-to-play basis, when I watch his tape at the FCS level, I'm not seeing a consistently dominant pass rusher. Um, his, His motor is great he plays with great leverage, real low to the ground. Um, he's, he can be real dangerous coming off those, you know, coming off your inside shoulder, create you know, creating that inside counter and pressure that way. Um, he's just going to have a, have trouble around the edge. He's not bendy or agile or that first step quickness I think is lacking. And he doesn't have that length to really maximize that plane strength he has. Um, so the, the more I think about it, the less I like this pick, honestly. I think their edge rotation was decent already. And as I've said before, if I were to go after an FCS pass rusher, I would have prioritized Bryce Sturk, the Montana State uh, edge rusher, formerly a Washington uh, recruit who transferred to Montana State and played well. I think you have a little more, uh, more to get excited about with that kid's natural tools than you do with Tusca.
0: All right. Oh, wow. So I was just looking it up. Bryce Sterk, it looks like the Dolphins are actually going to switch him to tight end. Crazy.
1: Yeah, so I mean a toolsy guy who maybe just didn't have it as an edge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. We'll get into that more, though, when we talk about the Dolphins. Um, Yeah, totally. That's going to do it for today. We appreciate everybody for listening. Had a lot of fun talking with Dre for the first time in a while. Yeah, it's been a while. I think next week we'll be back to uh oh, wait,
1: we have questions
0: though. So. Oh, we do, don't we?
1: And we gotta talk about Asang Bassi.
0: Oh, and a St. Bassie. Okay, well, yeah. you you do your saying Bassie okay. stuff.
1: Yeah. So Bassie, um, just missed the cut for the draftable grades from me. He was the third next in line there. Um, the other two ahead of him got drafted. Uh, he's another Wake kid, and you know, seen tested well at the combine, ran ran very well. Was a feisty outside corner for Wake in the ACC, and you know, played had a great career. He's He's got great burst, great speed. He's just super-duper undersized. But I think he's got the skills to give Devontae Harris some real competition um, as maybe the sixth corner. And we've seen guys like this work out for this coaching staff or this team before. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Harris Jr. and uh, Bryce Callahan, obviously the, the greatest examples you can come up. But Bassey, I thought, was a really nice pickup because you can't always use more corner depth and especially with Chris Harris gone, more guys to fill that need in the slot. I'll definitely be writing him, Bellamy, maybe uh, Manning as well. Once I'm done with the other film rooms, I'll uh, I'll write up on the the best, most intriguing UDFAs. Uh, So, yeah, he's definitely a name to keep keep track of. He was probably the bigger name of the guys the Broncos signed, um, even bigger than Bellamy.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let's jump into these questions now. Cool. Broncos guy 63 says, 49ers, the biggest finessers in the draft. How do you convince a team they need to swap picks for you when they pick immediately after? Absolutely brilliant. Also, absolutely loved Ruggs as a prospect. Then he posted an ad for Pizza Hut and wore an Old Spice robe when he was getting drafted. Being all about the sponsorship money before even getting drafted is a massive red flag for me. Okay. (laughs) Prove it before getting paid for it. Hashtag Baker. I mean, if somebody gives yes. you the option to take the money or they say you can take the, okay, here's the scenario. They say you can take this money or you can go play an NFL season. And if you put up 600 yards, then we'll offer you a chance to take this money again.
1: You got <laughs> I mean, to just, just take the money. Somebody says, take the money, baby. also
0: Pizza Hut, Old Spice, two very important brands in my life.
1: Hey, um, yeah, I've, uh, I'm, I'm with you and, uh, I didn't like what Baker did with that, but when it comes to rugs in these times, you know, haven't got that NFL paycheck yet. I think, um, uh, I think you got to pounce when you can. Also Baker really blew up with the commercials after his rookie year. He believed the hype mm, too much. I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that is true.
1: And the Niners, man, that was an interesting spot, but at the same time they needed a tackle. I mean, they ended up tr- trading for Trent Williams. Yeah. I think that's what they're telling the Bucs was, look, I mean, we're in the tackle market as well. Joe Staley's going to retire. We, we got to strongly consider this. If, you're, if you want to make sure you get worse, you got to move up here. Um, yep. So credit to them for making it
0: work. Yeah. You know, that's, so that that's what good. we've been saying the whole, the whole draft prospect process. People are saying, well, if the Broncos have their guy, you got to go get him. The 49ers did the exact opposite. They had their guy and said, for a third round pick or a fourth round pick, whatever it was, we'll give you our guy and we'll take some other guy.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: That's just being a smart businessman, I say. Pretty Uh, much. Count Locula says, Your draft, your pre draft slash mid draft slash post draft coverage was the Cats pajamas. Well (laughs) done. Bravo. Kudos. Are the Packers taking for Trevor? If not, what could be the thinking here? Love the count.
1: They're not tanking for Trevor because they no. got their young quarterback in Jordan Love. Um, the thinking here is I, I, I really believe what they said. They The plan wasn't to go after Jordan Love. They had him highly ranked on their board. Once they saw him slide, they thought that it was too good a value to pass up and not move up and get him. I, I can understand it. Um, we'll get into him more when we talk about the quarterbacks and the Green Bay Packers draft. What's disconcerting about the Packers is the picks they made in day two with A.J. Yeah. Dillon and Josiah DeGoura. Uh, yeah. You know, those are really like specific niche fits for the Matt LaFleur offense, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, they must have a plan in mind with Dillon. And DeGoura, I think, is that kind of tight end they think can can work. So I understand your new head coach. You want to give him some some piece, some unique pieces that make his unique offense work. But boy, it sure seems like they're prioritizing Matt Lafleur, who's unproven, and I think won't be in his job for much longer, over Aaron Rodgers. And I think uh, the test of time will uh, will will prove that that was a bad decision.
0: Yeah, and and my favorite conspiracy theory is that. Uh, there's already been a bit of a power struggle between Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers. Oh, there
1: definitely has,
0: and that's why Lafleur had to go get himself an out. So you could say, you know what, we're pulling the pulling the trigger here. We're going Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers, have fun in Miami, or with whoever wants to trade for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. There's definitely a power struggle, and this was a bit of a power move. But in the end, I don't think anyone's trying to tank. I just think these guys are bad at drafting and focus so much (laughs) on their specific scheme needs. And, you know, I grew up with this. Mike Shanahan was not a great drafter once he held all the keys. That's because he'd do stuff like this. And I think... I think we're seeing that happening again with the Packers. I think we've seen it with Kyle Shanahan and the Niners. They just get way too cute um, and screw things up a bunch. Uh, yeah. Interesting.
0: So, yeah. Count Locula. Oh, that's what we just read. Yep. Away wait for Prez. There we go. This is a new one. I got to scroll up. If you just leave the phone in the same place, it's the same comment. No uh, right. way for Prez. That's lots of chatter, or there's lots of chatter about this year's supplemental draft being unlike mm. any other due to the uncertainty surrounding the upcoming college football season. Given that, lots of rumors about Sean Wade putting his name in. If he did, mm. would you be open to taking him in the first round and thus sur- surrendering or, or yeah, surrendering next year's number one to do so? A cornerback room of Wade, Boye, OJ Mudia, Callahan, and the depth already in-house? Yowzes on the same note are there any high-end tackles that might warrant an early selection if they put their names in the supplemental draft
1: yeah man i might i mean i plan on writing some of this up at some point we'll be talking about this quite in depth i think mm-hmm. um sean Wade's one of those guys though that could have declared this year and so would be eligible for the supplemental draft Devonte smith would also be just running through the top guys on my board dylan moses Marshall Wilson. Um, Alex Leatherwood, as far as offensive tackles, with Sam Cosme, the left tackle for Texas. Leatherwood is, of course, the left tackle for Alabama. And Walker Little, the left tackle for Stanford, would all be eligible. The, the, with Wade, it'd be interesting. Yeah, I would consider that because he is a perfect fit for Vic Fangio. He would have been a first-rounder for me. The way the cornerbacks went, he probably goes before A.J. Terrell. So you're talking yep. about a top-16 player. The thing is, man, if things were to go wrong in the Broncos 2020 season, and there's a myriad of reasons they could go yep. wrong, just like with any team, but especially this young team that's still a lot of unknowns, giving up that first rounder and potentially missing out on one of these generational uh, this a generational offensive tackle in Penny Sewell, generational quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. Potential stud edge rushers who could be the heirs to Von Miller. I just don't know. It is such a risky proposition. Wade is probably of the guys we're talking about. Wade in those three tackles. He's the only one I even consider giving up a one for. The others, definitely a two. Yep. Uh, a second rounder would be in play. A one, too rich for my taste. And then, you know, I've done this supplemental thing where, you know, yeah, based on my rankings, this guy looks like a top 50 player. Then the draft comes around, they might have not even been a top 100 player and someone spent a third or a fourth rounder, on him, you know. I don't know, it's risky, but Sean Wade, man, he's special, it, it'd be worth considering. And there'll be some options to get significantly better and kind of game the system through the supplemental draft if it goes as crazy as we think it will.
0: Yeah, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Um, last question from Count Locula. What is it that allows analysts and scouts to know that an FCS or Division II or three player can compete at the NFL when they are not competing against the same level of competition? Besides just physical measurables, what in the tape is the tip-off? How does a guy get drafted first round out of cuts down and not just get looked over and given a one-way ticket to cuts down? Love the count. Yeah, it sounds so, where it's spelled differently, by the <laughs> way. It's very you, important.
1: You got to see it. Um, that's a great question. And it, really, because the competition, there's such a wide gap between the competition level they will face in the NFL and what they faced in college. The short answer is at the end of the day, you don't know.
0: Mm-hmm, but they need guess.
1: to dominate that lower level, mm-hmm. dominate. And they need to have at least NFL athleticism or NFL size. Because as I always say, you can get away with being undersized and athletic or having great size and being unathletic. You can't get away with not having both those traits. One has to make up for the lack of the other, at least. And so that's the key. That's really what you look for, but they need to dominate their level. Dominate. you. If you want to put yourself on the map, you need to dominate. Um, and yeah. That's what happens. Also, it, things have changed quite a bit uh, since guys were getting drafted in round one out of cuts down. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like um, the highest-ranked FCS guys I've ever had on my board are Javon Hargraves, who just got paid big this offseason, uh, and Carson Wentz. Yeah. Both of these guys had first-round grades for me. Aside from that, I don't think I've had many – uh, FCS certainly no division two or division three guys with very high grades because it's just yeah. it's just hard you're you're guessing you're projecting there's
0: too much risk there right and you're, yeah yeah right. And and you're, I, I t-
1: you're projecting the way you're projecting on a guy like Tyree Cleveland mm-hmm you know
0: it's like you played on a bad team right what does that mean yep.
1: yep totally
0: yeah all right That's actually going to do it for today. Dre, thanks for doing this. This is so much fun.
1: Thank you. This was dope. I missed it. So I'm really excited for our our plan to dig into the whole draft. Hopefully faster than...
0: Hopefully. I had a lot of thoughts to get out, though.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. You'd think us being on air for like 12 hours straight and then another two hours to recap the draft would have been enough. But we still (laughs) had new fresh takes to unload,
0: huh? So many. Levante (laughs) Bellamy
1: bro he's our guy
0: levante bellamy i might get the jersey now
1: nice you're officially a a draft pod host once the udfa you'd never heard of before gets you more excited than anyone else
0: yeah no seriously though when levante bellamy makes this roster and is an important piece of this offense it's off it's gonna be it's gonna be on fire it's on yeah Okay, well, that's going to do it for today. If you guys have Beautiful. questions, leave them in the comment section of the uh, post for today's show at ddmbr.com, and we will get to those next week when we talk about the rest of the AFC West. Sure.